0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food and drink lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's diageo com. So you don't
0: shun the devil with your rock and roll load. No. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The runs oh. groove in the rhythm and blues.
3: That's him. It's gonna get you some in the Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte.
1: I'm Souther
2: Teague. And I'm Greg Benson.
1: Gentlemen- so gents...
2: Uh, I don't know if you saw this headline in uh, the New York Times, the local paper today, but it, it caught my eye this morning for a number of reasons that I think will become clear. Uh, it read, food prices soar and so do companies profits. And under that, it says, some companies and restaurants have continued to raise prices on consumers even after their own inflation-related costs have been covered.
1: Do oh you guys yeah. see this one? I saw. I haven't mm-hmm. read the article, but I saw the headline and it already disturbed me. Did you dug into it? What would you find?
2: I did. So I mean, I saw I saw a lot of uh, depressingly unsurprising corporate greed in there. Uh, basically, the, uh, the, the takeaway is that a lot of these uh, companies, a lot of um, dairy producers, specifically a lot of people you'd find in the grocery store, but also a lot of uh, major restaurant chains have raised their prices beyond what they need to do to cover the inflated cost of all of their raw materials. Meaning that even though we are being forced to pay more and being told that it's, I don't know, Russia's fault or, you know, uh, Joe Biden's fault or our fault because we're going out to restaurants like the dirty sinful profligates that we are, Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of these places are covering the extra cost of their raw materials and then some and uh, having a lot of corporate profits on the other side of it. Um, Everyone keep your surprise faces at home. Uh, I know it's shocking, but... (laughs) Uh, the interesting thing to, to me is that I saw this headline and, you know, being in the industry that we're all in and that we all know and love, I didn't think, you know, restaurants like Chipotle, Red Robin, Applebee's right off the top of my head. I thought, you know, places like Avant Garden or Grand Army mm. or mm. like, you know, the burger joint down the street from me where old Irishmen go and complain about, you know, their pensions and Democrats or whatever. And <laughs> it's interesting to me to see how, you know, it, 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 it conflates these larger chains. Uh, big finger gets pointed at Chipotle in this thing with some of these smaller operations. And I think it's, I, I'd want to get your take Southern as someone who owns approximately what, like 50 different restaurants at this Sorry, point and counting. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, and I knew this is where the article was going to go after only seeing the headline. Uh, you know, it's obviously corporate, uh, Establishments that are doing this to people, and then you know they're lumping in the little guy like me, who's who's not doing this, uh, who's just trying to you know survive and keep moving forward after all of the pain we've suffered for the past couple of years. Same same with Damon over at, at Grand Army, I'm sure. Um, and that's that's the unfortunate truth. And I think you know we spoke a little bit off air, Greg. I think that the damnable part of it is when the consumer goes into say Chipotle, which is the one that the fingers pointed at in this article. Uh, they say, "Oh, the price went up, damn it!" And then they stand there in line and get their Chipotle. But when they come to a small sole proprietorship like Avant Garden, as you mentioned, or Grand Army, and they see the prices have gone up, there's an there's a chance that they'll say, "Well, this is the last time I'm coming here." And I just don't, you know, it's it, it's like, uh, as you mentioned, also, you know, we're in the late stages of capitalism, and the, the, <laughs> the machine is so broken that the people will out to the machine, and it's it's just. Uh, it's super frustrating. that It's another, I don't know, boot on the neck of the of the little guy, Damon. How do you feel about that?
3: Oh man, yeah. Well, you know, they're not going to hit up an a garden at like a Love's truck stop. You know, like it's like, <laughs> it's like the only thing, the only option they have. You know, no, I so get when
1: you're I get it when you're at the airport or what have you, and you have no option. But right, but right. I feel like the average Joe who eats at Chipotle, whatever, how many times a month, two or three times a month, it's not going to decrease his. You know, he's still going to go like, well, it's Tuesday, I go to Chipotle for Taco Tuesday or whatever. You know. Yeah. Uh, the prices went up. I guess that's how it is. I'll just skip going to Avon garden one more time, you know, this year than I normally might go or whatever. And I think that's well, the, the I don't know, the tragedy.
3: I think that there's a, another side to this too. I mean, just to kind of protect ourselves here, you know, it's like we're we're constantly looking to improve service, the quality of ingredients the innovation of our drinks and food, you know, we're, we're constantly thriving decor, to make our like everything, be, yeah. everything better, better music, just better activations for different events and whatnot. But Chipotle's not going to change. They're just going to restack the ingredients in a different way and then get, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's more Taco Bell, right. But you know, what I'm saying is like that never changes, but then the price is going up. I mean, I feel like when you're going to a nice place, a nicer place, you should maybe expect to pay a little bit more. Anyway, I, I always make the joke that I, when I look at a menu, I start going blind in my right eye where the prices are, you know, on that side of the menu, because I'm really just trying to see what the content is of a, a cocktail or a, a dish, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's a really cool combination. I've got to try that, you know? Um, so, you know, and then, you know, maybe there's a little, some, sometimes I've, I've, stumbled into some sticker shock when i got the bill but at the same time you know i i don't know it's it's that thing where you look at a wine list and you know people will always get the like the 15 dollar glass of chardonnay rather than the 16 dollar one and i'm like it's a dollar you know so i don't know it, to me I, I think about things a little bit differently also like i'm always afraid it, like you know like that it might be my last meal. So I'm I'm trying to like (laughs) fall out as hard as I can. Anyway, is that
1: why you always order dessert first? It's always been, I've always right.
3: Yeah. I get straight to the point. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Life's uncertain. Don't worry about the bill because death comes for us all.
3: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But I mean, yeah, it's, it is, I feel like, uh, you know, people who like eat fast food a lot, who are going to notice that 25 cent markup, you know, and, I remember, like, working in, like, my first, like, adult job at this, like, design and print place. And, um, you know, sometimes we would get – we would designate some person to go out and get uh, – pick up lunch for everyone from, like, some fast food place. And there was this one lady who, like, always wanted her exact change back. I was like, really? <laughs> like, right. okay. Like, and it was like that always like it still sticks with me, you know it's sure. like some people are really like penny pinching and and then some people don't have a retirement plan like me, so right, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> right. we're gonna
1: pay for this behavior later, <laughs> but it's it's
3: inevitable that it, like this is gonna happen, you know, especially with the big big people It's just gotta you gotta remember like shopping local, shopping small, you know, and you know supporting the little people uh who are actually there for you and right. want to, you know, be hospitable and they have the passion behind it to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a dream trying to, it's a dreamer trying to fulfill the dream of other people.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the unfortunate truths to that model though, is that, you know, e- economy is uncertain for a lot of people and, uh, you know, the economy of scale draws attention and the fact mm-hmm. that you can get, you know, a quote unquote cheaper meal somewhere, uh, you know, takes your attention away from the, uh, basically what I'm saying is convenience costs less. Uh, the inconvenience of going to a local mom and pop shop and paying a little bit more, it might not be so appealing when times are tougher.
2: Well, Southern, right. I'm not, I'm not even sure that it's a convenience thing. I almost feel like they exist in two different hemispheres in our brain, right? Like when I'm going out to a place and I, I also have the, uh, the right eye blindness phenomenon, you know, I'm not going there because, you know, I'm, I'm, hungry necessarily, even though I probably am. I'm going there because it's a luxury, it's fun, I'm treating myself, I'm celebrating experience. something. Experience. Yeah. Whereas when I go to a chipotle, I'm not going there for the experience. I'm going there because I'm a land mammal that runs on carbohydrates and protein and chipotle is there.
1: Sure. And it's fuel. It's fuel, not cuisine. It's yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. And it's and it's kind of the fundamental Problem with at the risk of opening this can of worms, you know, uh for-profit healthcare system, because there really is no ceiling on what people will pay for necessities, right? Mm-hmm. Like people will put a ceiling on how much they're willing to treat themselves for a luxury, but like for things like food and medicine that you need to survive, if you go up there and you order a burrito and they say that'll be $19 you'll get mad for a second and then the little outrage suppression cortex of your brain will kick in and i'm like and then you'll just be like do you take apple pay like (laughs) it's it's i don't know what i'm saying is it's tough out there for the little guy i will say however this the silver lining to this is one hopefully as we've mentioned uh you know maybe this will if, if Chipotle and Red Robin and Applebee's get too expensive, maybe people will actually go to like their local Mexican place right. or their local burger place. But right. just for me, go the other way for once. Yeah. But for me, selfishly, I have been for like 20 years, the guy who doesn't get guacamole on his burrito. And for whatever reason, I have stood in a, merciless shower of crap for this from all of my friends, because I'm like, I don't really want to pay like an extra buck 25 for guacamole. And people are like, you're insane. You, you cheap bastard. But now (laughs) that it costs like $5, all of a sudden I'm like, told you so. So (laughs) in the face of a collapsing capitalist system, I at least get to say, I told you so.
3: Well, but I don't know. Now you're the, now you're the dark cloud and I'm the silver light. (laughs) Greg right. oh wow there's there's all well yeah so there you're you're sleeping on your roll here yeah um, <laughs> i've
1: been away for a few weeks sorry <laughs> just gonna say
3: just gonna say just like in pulp fiction everyone's got to know what a seven dollar shake tastes like just say it yeah. you know this so, is <laughs> again it's about the experience anyway um i you know i will say this and just to kind of back you up greg it's not from a financial point of view but i think and we can talk about this offline but Guacamole on a burrito. I mean, you just got, like, I want more texture in my burrito. So, I mean, (laughs) I I would rather go with, like, fresh avocado than guacamole. But that's a whole other show. Um. Yeah, that's our <laughs> food saying. show.
2: Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that off air. But for now, for now, I want to make sure that we that we uh give this person her due because we have a awesome awesome guest, a bit of uh of a celebrity yeah. on our show right now, perhaps even outside of the nerdy circles that we traffic in. Uh Suther, who do we have joining us in the studio today?
1: LP is here from uh well, I guess where do we say you're from these days? You're from Drink Masters, currently number 7 show on Netflix. LP, welcome to the virtual studio.
4: Hey everyone. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Welcome back.
4: back. Yeah. I'm excited.
1: So you're, you've been up to some pretty, uh, cool stuff. Of and it's got to feel kind of weird. I used to work in television, so I understand how things like this go, but you, your own drink masters, which is crushing it on Netflix. And it's all over my, um, social media feed because of course I follow lots of things that are about the drinks world and, uh, everything that's popping up is all about drink masters. um, but you filmed this thing almost a year ago, right?
4: Yeah, we filmed a year ago out uh, right outside of Toronto. Wow.
1: Oh wow. It was,
4: it was cold. cold.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about the experience. I don't know. Did we decide off air before we got on? We're not going to give away spoilers, right?
4: No spoilers.
1: The show was really released. I'm kind of bummed, honestly, that Netflix opted to release it, the entire show, all at once. I would prefer it be dripped out week by week to build that anticipation. However, That's since fair. they dropped it all at once, I've binged it and I think I watched it all in three, three days, I believe, because um, I'm invested in it. I, I know several of the competitors that you're up against and, um, you know, very cool show modeled, I think, after, you know, Top Chef style. Yeah. Um, and it looked really fun. Talk about the experience of of doing it and being up in Canada for however long you had to go up there for.
4: For sure. I mean, I I certainly was intrigued by the competition element of this. I truthfully didn't even consider the television element until like a week ago. <laughs> and so <laughs> going into this experience, you know, I really wanted to figure out how I could continue to push myself to learn, um, you know, integrating culinary techniques into what I do Uh, while we were filming this, I was still at silver lion as the R and D production chef. So it was very much aligned with the current work I was doing. Um, and when you watch the show, you'll see a bunch of different techniques and, um, a lot of different expertise, which the versatility and the diversity in that realm for me, you know, not just culture, not just race, but expertise was so fun to see. In um, every episode, I learned something from someone else, which I I really thought was very special. Um, I would say, you know, going into this, certainly did not consider the TV element, as I said previously. Um, and it's different, you know, you're competing, but you're also um, producing a television show. Right. Um, and so, uh, any, the advice I'd give for anyone interested in, you know, potentially doing something like this would be like, stay true to who you are, um, you know, be as prepared as possible and take advantage of the opportunity to really meet, you know, people who are, are very good at what they do and care a lot about what they do.
1: Yeah. I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised after watching the entire uh, season, That um, there wasn't—it didn't seem to me, anyway—that there was a lot of the same sort of uh, tactics of editing that you get on a lot of the other uh, competition-style shows like this. That you know, usually there's like, due to editing, there's like a a villain and a and a you know a king and a uh, you know yeah no archetype uh, anything really yeah yeah, exactly there really wasn't it it really did seem to focus just on each person's individuality. Uh, Can you? talk about that a little bit? Yeah.
4: you know, I appreciated that, especially because this was really a pivotal moment for the beverage community. It was the first time we could really showcase from beginning to end of process what we do on a day to day. We think of cooking shows, everyone eats food. Um, and they're very familiar with what mushrooms smell like when they're cooked, you know, and that, um, that's very much p- penetrates our screens and hits our nose when we see that on TV. So, um, being a part of that process, you know, when I, you know, episode one, this isn't a spoiler, I'm cooking pineapples, you we all know what cooked pineapples smell like. And I think, um, again, it was, you know, these challenges are set up and designed, it's like 90 minutes for this challenge. And I'm sure many people are very taken aback. They're like 90 minutes to make a cocktail. So um, a lot of the comments I'm getting are so positive and, and very appreciative of just being able to see a different part of what we do. I will lean back again into the fact that, again, there's so many different styles of bartenders. Um, You won't necessarily see this in every bar you go in, but that's not even the point. The point really is that that end result you're getting when you are being served a drink at the bar has so much care and thought and process that you don't get to see on a day to day. Um, So yeah, this was really cool to be a part of.
3: Yeah, there's actually, it's, I I loved watching this show because I'm just going to tell you a quick, quick thing uh, here. Uh, Ten years ago, there was a show that never aired. It was called The Bartender, and Julie was one of the judges on it. I remember, and I was a contestant. And there was like started with like 25 New York City bartenders, and they just kind of cherry picked us uh, from the from the industry. And it was awesome because, like you said getting to know other people. I mean, the the one major thing about it, was a bummer, was just waiting around for your turn, right? (laughs) Like in the green room, just like, (laughs) oh, you're getting like hyping yourself up. But it was great. I got to become better friends with a lot of people on the scene. But anyway, it was called The Bartender. And, you know, it was the closest thing that I'd seen to a a show about drinks making. Um, But there wasn't enough drama in it. Because, you know, as bartenders, we're meant to alleviate trauma from people's lives, you know. But, so that's one part of it. That's the bartending part, being a bartender, right? But then this show is called Drinks Masters. So this is really about the culinary and kind of molecular mixology side of things. So that's what makes this show so dynamic, like you were saying before. It's like you – it's showing off the, the process. It's like you, you don't – yeah, I mean, like it, if it took an hour to get a drink – like from start to finish, like if you were sitting a bar waiting for an hour to get a drink, I mean that would that would suck, right? But this is about the process getting to that point, and I think what it really showcases is like we were talking about before, like the the value of uh, uh, any product, right? And and knowing like what goes into it, like a cocktail, people still like balk at you know certain prices for cocktails at you know nicer cocktail bars and restaurants, but now this showcases what actually goes into it, and then. You know, just watching you're like, oh my god, that was a lot of work yeah. and a lot of creativity on the fly, even. And you know, and this is, this is like, I'm sure you got to tap into some of your your previous techniques and and things that you used, uh, you know, that you have used in your career, um, and kind of like lean in on certain garnish styles and and recipes. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's on the fly creativity, and it's just amazing. It's amazing seeing you and 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 Kate and Suzu, like all these people on the show. Uh, and and Capri and like it's just so cool um, to see like y'all just like flexing hard I mean it was it was insane yeah um so to me that I mean talk to me about like talk to us about that experience like just like the on the fly like like how did you did you start with like a certain kind of like platform or like foundation with each drink or
4: Yeah. Yeah, So my plan going into it and I have my husband, my now husband, I think for that was, thank you, was to, um, (laughs) to just have a plan for literally every possible scenario. (laughs) Right. So, (laughs) you know, going into the competition, I had a binder that had basically, um, broken down, like deconstructed versions of every classic cocktail you could think of. And then, Um, you know, how to make foams, how to make oleos, how to make airs, how to make pearls, reverse purification, you know, agar-agar spherification, how to clarify juice, how to make a milk punch. And these are a lot of techniques I've used, right? But if we're being honest, it's a lot easier for me to say, I know how to make a Rob voi versus I know how to clarify lime juice, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> sure, and,
1: especially
3: like under pressure exactly, and on the fly. right? So well, that's the bartender side of it you know that's the class exactly versus the, exactly yeah.
4: so it was a lot of studying I was in the library almost every day um and, it, and again I wasn't even trying to win I think for me going through the process I really wanted to make sure I showcased myself appropriately and that I did my due diligence despite the outcome and the outcome you'll see obviously I win I lose who knows but I wanted to make sure that I did the best that I could possibly do. Um, I'm proud of what I did. Uh, that's the spirit of a competition. Yeah, right? and that's you, you exactly to do your best. it. I really wanted to make sure that I learned something, and I learned so much. Um, the challenges were set up uh, to place us in positions that were quite, I mean, it's stressful, right? You have money on the line. Yeah. You're timed to create a concoction that is beautiful, that is better than the last thing that you put out, and that can potentially surpass the other competitors who are all very talented. So,
1: sure, all under hot lights and you know, roving roving city <laughs> cams
4: and-, and you know, and like little <laughs> sleep because I was studying. And yeah, and again, it's it's such a different experience, but it was such a rewarding one. Um, and I think for me. I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to be a part of this inaugural season um, for something that truly has the potential to really reshape the way that people think about the beverage industry
1: yeah, i couldn't I couldn't agree more and I think uh, being a part of the the inaugural season is a is a huge, huge thing for you. It's uh, you know if we look back at like top top chefs, the inaugural season competitors on that show have been on the show repeatedly throughout the exactly. season. They've created their own shows. They've opened their own businesses, written books, et cetera. So I think that's uh, you're going to be part of a legacy if this show continues on. And it's doing so well on Netflix, I can't imagine that it won't. Let's pause here for a moment, take a quick break, and hear from our sponsors. We'll come right back and keep talking to LP about Drink Masters and all things drinking. Stay tuned.
3: Guys, the deadline for world-class is coming up very quickly.
1: Yeah, only 13 days away. Yeah. 13 days of a Yeah,
3: it seems like just yesterday we were talking about last year's competition, but you have until the 15th of November to submit your application for USBG's Diageo world-class. This is like the biggest cocktail competition in the world, right?
1: I think so. I mean, it might be getting nipped at its heels by drink masters. I don't know, (laughs) Uh, but uh, yes, certainly the biggest one in our sort of niche of the world, right—the cocktail-driven part of bartending. Uh, This year's competition is uh, the entry is centered around the spritz, and there's plenty of resources for you at uh, Diageo Bar Academy, right, Greg?
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's anything you could possibly think of for any skill level is there. Whether you're, you know, a first timer just kind of throwing your hat in the ring, or this is your, you know. 29th usbg presents world class by diageo uh, competition whatever level of skill you're at there's a class and a resource in there for you um there's abv calculators there are poor cost calculators there's all kinds of things not just for this competition but just you know for the overall mechanics of making drinks and running a bar which is cool and you know as we like to mention the barrier entry is low because it costs Whatever Nothing. you're paying for Wi-Fi, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's free. Uh, I, again, I talk all the time about how that's my favorite part of the whole thing at Diageo Bar Academy, that it is absolutely free and on demand. You can go on there and take any of the classes, uh, view, view any of the resources, download any of the products that they have to offer uh, at your leisure, and it's totally free. Uh, I, you can't you can't beat the price. Virtual bar. There's- oh, and, and a the new virtual bar. bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're moving into the techno age. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I don't know if you guys have taken a look at it, but it's really cool to see. Yeah, it is.
2: Yeah, so if like me, you're tired of Zoom happy hours where all of a sudden you log off and then you realize that you are just tipsy alone in your apartment, uh, go <laughs> check out the virtual bar. Hang out with some people. See who's there. It's it's actually it's a, it's a cool it's a cool resource and I've enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, totally. Well, that's cool. I'm like, you know, I, I think what's fun about that too is. As we talked about on the show today uh, with OP, it's like you get to actually interact with other people who are like-minded and maybe you can learn something from the other people who are hanging out at the virtual bar as well as on the actual website. So definitely go and check out DiageoBarAcademy.com. Greg, that's, that's G-I-A-G-E-O <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, bar Academy. Bar Academy.
5: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones.
6: And I'm your co-host, Darren Bresnitz. Part of why we started this show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online. Just something you want to do for fun.
5: Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out... Yes, ma'am. ...has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives, using food as the medium.
6: It's something that has driven us, professionally and personally, for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're gonna sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry. With
5: 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give, through these conversations, an insider's view into personal stories from the field, as well as an in-depth behind the scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape.
6: We'll be covering everything from how to style your food to how to license IP, to developing your own ideas and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show.
5: Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, how to, and how do you do the things that you do in Calera media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29.
6: We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera. And we're bringing them all together to share their stories their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world.
5: So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe. And make sure to give us a follow at the culinary call sheet on Instagram.
3: And we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, um, we have our great friend LP back in the studio. And we've been... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been talking about the show Drinks Masters. And, you know, Greg said earlier in the show that he was kind of skeptical about, like, a, a show on Netflix uh, that was a cocktail competition show. But I'll tell you, the first thing that I saw when I saw ads for this was Julie Reiner's face. And I was like, all right, here we go. Yeah, like,
1: like automatic credence, you
2: know. Yeah
3: absolutely for for
2: the record for the record my skepticism was netflix based not julie reiner based (laughs)
3: yeah Yeah. but i mean like she's just such a like a powerhouse and when i saw that it was julie reiner as like like the main like mixologist judge i was like oh well this is gonna be great i just want to watch it just because she's a friend of mine and she's hilarious and and she's she's very serious at what she does and I just wanted to watch her work. You know, I love watching Julie work. It's oh, for great. sure. No,
1: she's notoriously firm but fair in her assessment of things. And I think that that shined through during the show as well.
3: Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when you put the show on, you get to see all these great people that we, the, you know, know from the industry. And, you know, half of them have been on this show on the speakeasy. And I was like, oh, well, that actually makes it even more legit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, but seriously, <laughs> well, that,
1: that's, that makes sense. You know,
3: the, the fact that Julie's on there and, you know, You know, I think, Souther, you were saying at the break that uh, something happened at Tales of the Cocktail.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, she was I was sitting at the table directly next to her um, uh, at Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards when she was called up on stage by Dale DeGroff to, you know, receive her a Lifetime Achievement Award. And the first thing she said on stage, and this was in July, was, you know, uh, maybe you gave me this prize a little too early. I'm not done yet. You know, her knowing that this show had already been filmed, it hadn't even been released yet. And then, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the Friends and Family of Milady's, a bar that she's just opened in uh, Manhattan. and Reopened. You know, yeah, reopened. Yeah. re reimagined. It's certainly yeah. not the same as it was, but it's back, and it's beautiful, and it's a great place to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's not done. Like, she's not even close to done. Right. She's just getting started.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, it's, there was a, a huge... You know, just a, an indi- an indicator for what was to come uh, sure. when it actually aired uh, last week. Quality and indicator.
1: She wouldn't strap herself or her name to anything no, that wasn't going to be all. of quality. And I think uh, I think that the show is speaking for itself again. It's it's doing so so well. And you know, competitions are not new to our field of endeavor. And I think that's what maybe energizes our community to go and watch this show. Um, you know and speaking of competitions, you know, coming up soon is the deadline to get your entry in for uh, uh world class. So it's November 15th, so that's what uh, today's the second, uh, it's coming up really fast, two weeks away. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that stuff, guys. Let's talk about competitions and world class specifically. Yeah,
3: I, I wanted to ask LP how many competitions or were you a competition person uh before the show? I mean, I know that I just I'd seen you or like known you around the scene, but I don't remember if I'd ever seen you in any competitions. Um, was that something that you were doing? That's, I mean, it'd be amazing if you hadn't done them and then got on the show and kicked all all the ass. You know, you know? what? We'll go with um, that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: yeah. I've competed in a few competitions. Uh, world class is probably the most impressionable one for me. And speaking of Julie Reiner, Uh, Julie has certainly been a judge for me (laughs) besides the competition for Drink Masters in the past. So that credibility element you were just talking about really resonates with me um, because she is so sound. Her critiques are so um, impressionable. and, and, And quite honestly, what I appreciate about them the most is that there is actually a takeaway that you can implement in the future, right? Um, but with world class, you know, world class is one of the competitions for me. Um, when they were doing their studios in 2019, um, I was intrigued about the competition because it was the first time I saw, um, such a diverse group of people being a part of it. I think I saw Tyler Hudgens and Laura Newman competing in 2018, I was like, Oh man, they're so sound, they are amazing presenters, they are so confident in what they're doing, they're knowledgeable. I want to do that, and I immediately applied the next year. Um, and so the way that this year's competition is set up, we have a switch challenge, and um. To get more information about that challenge, um, there are resources available to take advantage of on the Diageo Bar Academy. Um, and it's very similar to, like, a master class um, or, or the studios that we offer in person for world class. And it will really allow you to be successful when applying for the competition. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Is it Spritz competition based directly from the Negroni Spagliato.
1: uh, I don't think they could have planned that any better.
3: They won a
4: Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco. Just putting that out there. That's
1: right. Yeah. With (laughs) Prosecco. Very important. Oh, stunning. Stunning. Uh, Yeah. There's uh, – so the spritz aspect is your your initial uh, salvo into the competition, correct? Uh, Talk to me a little bit about how that works. Yeah.
4: So essentially what happens with the application process – um, is there is an online submission for the first round. Um on the Diageo Bar Academy website, you will have access to educational materials. Um, some are prerequisites that you um have to take in order to be able to proceed with the application. This the portfolio for Diageo, the reserve portfolio, and then additional SKUs that are available. Um will be available for you to conceptualize whatever cocktail it is that you want to make. Um, anything from like, you know, seed lip etc et cetera. Um, so many versatile skews and spirits to utilize. So I highly recommend, and I can't say it enough that you take advantage of the Adria bar Academy. Um, it's like the answer key for the test. It's exactly what you need to do well <laughs> and to proceed. Um, it's, it's-
1: I mean, we talk about Diageo Bar Academy all the time and I think one of my favorite parts of it, and I, I may sound like a broken record when I say it, is you know the barrier for entry is is, is do you, can you get yourself to a computer with some internet access? It's free. It's on demand. You can do all these things anytime you want. It's not no schedule to be a part of. Uh, and again, the price tag is zero dollars to you.
4: Yeah, it's a great resource. So it's a free res- resource for bartenders, servers, managers, hospitality professionals in general. Um, it has courses, resources for all levels of um, the bar. And then it includes recipes, some stories, trends, inspiration. So I use it often as someone who has not competed besides Drink Masters in a very long time. Um The thing that's really cool about it as well is it's a global platform, so you'll see um, some familiar and unfamiliar faces from all over the world who represent um, the Diageo and World Class team.
1: Yeah, I love that. What do you think, if there is anything, your experience from World Class and your experience with Diageo Bar Academy lent to you for your experience with drink masters Do you think was a, is this a ladder that you climbed?
4: Yeah. So I didn't plan it. <laughs> <laughs> I um. you know, it's funny. I going back to that uh, initial like application process for the show was reached out and I thought about, it and I was like, you know what? I think it's time. It'd be cool. This is this is something that has potential to be really, really pivotal for the industry. Again, I think everything kind of lined up. I was the R&D production chef at Silverline at the time. I had already been like in the kitchen, really focusing on what goes in the glass. Um, the, the most difficult part for me really was presentation and figuring out how to entice the guests, the viewers on the television, and the judges with a very beautifully plated cocktail, which is essentially what we did. And world class was one of the, the biggest reasons why I was really able to execute and conceptualize and um, and lean into some really obscure and, and cool and fun presentations. It was the first time in a competition that um, really considered the story in the uh, initial stages of conceptualization, transitioning into what's going in the glass and the story associated with the ingredients and then the end result being like the presentation element and then the visuals and all of the sensory elements that are built into that.
2: It's my favorite part.
4: Yeah, exactly. The end result, right?
2: (laughs) I know. And I, 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 I really want to talk about what because uh, you said like you, this would be a pivotal moment for the industry, like that was a thing that you that you saw this coming up, and you're like, oh man, like this is this is a big opportunity, and I'd really kind of love to talk to you about like, why you think that is, because. As has been mentioned, I was a little skeptical when I saw this on my Netflix queue, not because of anybody involved, just because I'm pretty sure that Netflix's creative mission statement is what cutting room floor? So, um, you know, (laughs) with the fact fact that it has cracked the top 10 is really staggering to me because I think that so many of us in this industry, myself included, multiple times have been part of projects that are like, oh, it's like Top Chef, but with drinks, or it's like Chopped, but with drinks. And they didn't get off the ground and i'm i'm pleasantly surprised and very delighted to see this one finding such an audience and i was wondering if you could kind of speak to like why that is if there's something unique about this particular competition or the way it was run or the people that was that were on it or if this is just kind of the moment where we've we've broken through to the other side and enough people know you know to store their vermouth in the refrigerator at this point, that we can we can get a good cocktail bartending you show?
4: You know, I think it was a combination of things. It was considering how COVID really impacted the way that people at home view drinks. Um, the same way we saw everyone making bread, we also saw them making cocktails. Um, and I think additionally, I didn't have knowledge of who was on the show or anything like that prior, but... I knew that I really had nothing to lose at that point, because if I went on and represented myself to the best of my ability, then what could I, like, what's the worst thing that happens, right? Um, So when I say pivotal, I had no idea we'd break top 10. I had no idea that we'd still be on top 10. I mean, it's only been out like five days, which is insane. Um, And again, a message is flooding in. The events I've been doing and meeting people, they're like, you... And everyone on that show are just amazing. And it's it's allowed me to appreciate what you all do as bartenders so much more. Because for whatever reason, there's a disconnect with chefs and beverage professionals. Um, I think for the longest time, you have things like Food Network and other you know networks that really do showcase chefs, um, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And it really is something that's normalized with viewers. Like, oh, yeah. This is a respectable profession because I have an understanding of the process, right? Um, And I think, again, my my hope is really that that is something that also relates to beverage professionals. And additionally, the thing that was really cool is just like, you know, I'm a beverage consultant now. I was an R&D production chef. I'm sure those are things that people didn't even consider existed in our realm, right? They're just like, oh, you're a bartender, which I am. Um, but we do so much. There are so many options. There are so many things that we, you know, we advocate for, and and that align with us, and that um, you know our passion projects, etc. And so again, I just hope that it doesn't stop here, and that we can continue to find ways to allow the consumer to be a part of what we do on a day to day.
3: I I love that yeah, you brought brilliant. that up because you know, it it has changed, right? Like I said, we've been trying to create some sort of bartending drink show for well over a decade now. And some have come and gone. Some just kind of like failed, but like this one works because as you put it, like COVID kind of changed the way that people perceive drinks because people started making cocktails at home. And a lot of people like there was one uh, person um, on the show who was a, like a home mixologist kind of uh, uh, like internet bartender. Right. And that, that, would have never happened f- like five years ago if this show came out, you know, it would, it would have been like, what bar do you own or work at? Or, you know, like it wouldn't have been open that way. But I think it kind of reminded me of like the, like these like baking shows. Right. And as you said, you know, you'd mentioned baking, like um, I made so many loaves of banana bread and sourdough like everyone else, <laughs> you know, in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but you know, when you watch these specifically baking shows, it kind of opens it up more to, you know, there's certainly chefs and pastry chefs on those shows, but there are people who are just like home baking enthusiasts, right? And that's what's re- what was really cool about this first crew on Drinks Masters, too, right? I mean,
4: no, I agree. I- and the other thing, too, is like, I thought about this the other day, which is that even on those Food Network shows, occasionally they'll prompt them with cocktails, right? They're like, okay, and right. you have to make a cocktail to pair with this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that happened for a little bit, and then it kind of disappeared. You know, I used to work on a show on the Food Network, and we pitched – this is over 20 years ago. We pitched a drinking show, and we were promptly uh, shut down by the network because they said uh, – Basically, if, if the viewer is watching you make something they've never heard of, you know, chicken tagine, they don't know what anything going on in there is, but they know chicken. So they'll stay till the end scene when you take a bite. And even though they don't know any of those flavors, they taste mm, chicken. But if you, again, take a sip of, you know, whiskey, sweet vermouth uh, and bitters and they don't know what what whiskey tastes like. They've never have even heard of vermouth. They've not got no clue what bitters are. They don't stop to watch you take a sip of that Manhattan. They've already changed the channel. Exactly. Because they have no, exactly. no connection.
4: And not everyone, drinks. but I think
1: that I think that it, it, most of the world doesn't. In fact, uh, A shockingly low percentage of the world drinks. Um, so I think that you know, just the right confluence of of uh, circumstance and the and the pandemic, putting the folks who are interested in this, you know, seeking out knowledge on internet, social media, etc. You know, I did forty two Zoom classes during the pandemic, teaching people at home how to make drinks. Like certainly, there's a new level of awareness and knowledge. That makes them able to say, "Oh, I've had whiskey. Oh, I've heard of vermouth. I have a bottle of some kind of bitters. Now I'll stay to the end and see if they enjoy this Manhattan or not." Because I've never had a Manhattan, but I can kind of put it together.
4: Yeah, I totally agree. And to your point, yeah, most of the world doesn't drink, which is I think amazing. Um, there is <clears throat> a challenge where someone makes an NA uh, beverage, which I think is so great, right? Like I think that we, I, I personally. Um, I try to be as inclusive as I can with everything that I do, and that also is involving um, options for folks who don't invite, right? Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. You want to make them feel just as welcome as anyone exactly. else. Exactly.
4: We're not putting, you know, the NA drinks on the back with the kids' drinks. Like that's not, you know, it, we're really we're still taking a lot of care and thought into what we do, um, and I think that's really important.
3: I think that's why it's so cool that the spritz is the cocktail. Kind of going back to uh, Diageo, uh, world class, because um, a spritz can be as low or no ABV as you'd like. You know, so it's pretty pretty good drink to have on your side when you're. It's the drink I drink when I'm not drinking. Yeah, you know what and I mean? it's, <laughs> no, it's,
4: it's absolutely a testament to your understanding of balance in a drink, of texture in a cocktail, and technical application. And not necessarily like, you know, making spheres, but what I mean is, if you're putting um, a seed lip in a cocktail, you have to be able to compensate for the lack of texture in that drink. Are you adding sugar? Is it a richer styled syrup? Is there carbonation in that to give it, you know, texture and effervescence? Like we have to manipulate um, some of the elements that we're lacking when we don't have alcohol in a beverage. So um, it will be really interesting to see, you know, what everyone makes, but I'm really excited. Definitely utilize the Azure Bar Academy. As I said, it is the answer key to the test. Um, I wish I would have learned that sooner, (laughs) Um, but I think, uh, it's a great, it's an amazing resource, uh, especially for the way that these challenges are designed.
1: Yeah. I would ask, um, a question before we wrap up here. Um, do you see yourself continuing on with competitions?
4: You know, what's so interesting about this? I thought about this the other day. And I was actually talking to Lauren Moat and I said, hey, I have a question for you. You know, I love competing. I, I always want to ensure that whatever it is I'm doing really aligns with me. And this did, right? Um, but I'm like, I don't know. There's something weird about being on a global platform and doing something like this and then being like, a judge in this competition or like, you know, like, a, you know, an advisor in this thing and then competing. So I don't know. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> um, I think my focus is definitely and certainly ensuring that I can use my resources, my knowledge to help other bartenders um, continue down the path of their careers. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got or, or one of the things that was stated to me that resonates so hard is, you know, if I'm if I'm excelling, if I'm continuing to, like, break down barriers and climb the ladder, I don't want to look down at you. I want you to be right there with me. So I think that really is the goal for me to ensure that I can help in any way that I can or I can continue to learn um, and take advantage of educational opportunities and then continue to pass along any opportunities that come my way to others, right? Um, so I guess... The next time I'm on, I can answer that question better, but I'm not sure yet. <laughs> well,
2: I'll tell you what: if they bring you back for season two as a judge, I will watch it. I will get over my Netflix skepticism. <laughs> I will sit down. I'll clear my calendar, and I'll binge the entire okay. thing. That's that's my deal. That's fair.
4: That's fair. But we need those views in order to get season two. Just saying. Yeah, Greg,
1: you gotta- <laughs> get in there, Greg. Come on. Ah, uh, fine. Uh, no, I'm, I'm Make yourself I'm, a I'm spritz joking. and sit down and enjoy some episodes. Uh, I am going to make myself several
2: spritzes <laughs> and maybe a Negroni Spaliato with Prosecco. Don't even, don't, don't, don't you dare put Kava near it. And I'm I'm actually I'm actually super excited to watch the entire thing. I I I'm, I'm really pumped now hearing you talk about the conversation. I mean, the,
1: I the had to binge it. I know several of the competitors, great friends with Kate Gerwin, yeah. and I was just excited to see her on screen. Yeah. And she I'm going to see her in three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna there you feet. go. Oh, you are amazing! Mm-hmm. I'm going to yep. see her in two weeks. I'm going to she'll be at Portland Cocktail Week. Nice. And so, will I. Oh, nice. very
4: cool! So, awesome!
1: Awesome! LP, will you be will you be at Portland? I I'll be
4: at Puerto Rican Cocktail Week. I might make an appearance at Portland. Cock- There's so much going on all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially now that sort of uh, you know we're on the tail end of the comet of the pandemic, we're we're seeing things come back to life, and, and it's
4: amazing. Uh, yeah,
1: suddenly your suddenly your schedule gets yeah. really full, really fast. Yeah,
4: yeah. So I I hope so. I hope to be at both. I really want to be at both.
1: I'd love to see you if you're there. Yeah. Um, we're gonna do uh, like a little uh, getting the band back together. It's gonna be me, Chris Elford, and Lindsay oh Madison uh, doing a an Amore Margo pop up with uh, with Jägermeister. It's gonna be a top nice, pop.
4: I'm
1: oh gonna, sweet, yeah,
4: amazing.
1: Uh, so looking forward to that. LP,
3: before we go, what's your what's your go to cocktail? Uh,
4: the with prosecco. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you know what? I think Cava. Cava. <laughs> No, I uh I tend to be an old fashioned girl. I love old fashions. I think that for me, you if you have a bartender who can make you a good old fashioned, they are they, they can make you any drink. Um and I've seen some really cool old fashions nowadays, like you know, coconut washed, rum. That's the thing. You don't have to use whiskey, right? You can use any base spirit. But coconut, right, of course. coconut washed rum with like maple syrup, angostar bitters. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. So, um, I feel yeah. old fashioned. Yeah. Any variation, I'm going yeah.
3: take my money. But a strict, like, yeah. two
4: ounce, quarter ounce, two dashes of mango, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's classic. <laughs> <I> mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, and also it's, I feel like that drink is, is important in the fact that. It seems to be the like the main drink, the main cocktail that got people, the home bartenders into making cocktails Which at is home, so amazing.
4: Right?
3: Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's endlessly riffable, as you said. Yeah,
4: exactly. And all you have to do is sub out a base spirit. You don't have to do anything crazy. You don't have to do a fat wash. Just sub out rum yeah. for whiskey or maple syrup sure. for simple syrup, which is really cool, in my opinion.
3: Mm-hmm. Do a split base. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Awesome. Well, LP, this has been awesome. Thank you for Um, having me. Great great having you back on the show, and congratulations on Drink Masters. Thank you. You look so badass on it, too. Like, um, we were watching it the other night, and Jamie, my fiance, was just like, she looks so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the lighting plays really well with the edges of your glasses. Yeah, it looks like they're, like,
1: neon or something. Thank
3: (laughs) you. Uh, But – but, yeah, it, it looked like a lot of fun and, yeah, with great company on that show. So, very cool. Kudos, kudos to that. But that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Also, check out DiageoBarAcademy.com. As LP said, it's the key to the test. So, also, on that note, you know, go check out uh, Drinkmasters because um, – <laughs> You know, Greg's not gonna. Yeah. So
2: you need to <laughs>
1: Pick up Greg's life. I'm going to watch it, guys. I, yeah, yeah, I want to throw in one more time, real fast. Yes, the key to the the quiz is at DiageoBarAcademy.com, but the quiz, of course, is uh world class, and your your um, submission for entry is due on the 15th. That is two short weeks away, so get that thing done. Exactly. All right. Till next week, y'all. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.
2: So you don't shun the
1: devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.